Welcome to the Full Contact Fantasy Football Show with your hosts, Nick Zapina and Sharif Phillips-Keaton. All right, everybody, welcome back to another fun edition of the Fantasy Football uh, Full Contact. I got that backwards, but you got the idea. The Full Contact Fantasy Football Show. I am joined with Sharif Phillips-Keaton. Sharif, what's going on? Uh, nothing much, Nick. Just glad that I was able to win in all of my season-long leagues that I'm in and also uh, cash some money in DFS. It was one of few good weekends I've had so far this season. How about yourself? Yeah, I can't say that I'm having too much too much success right now in fantasy football. Um, my Dynasty League team, which I thought was pretty darn good from the start, I've made some big moves to acquire uh, young talent like uh, C.D. Lamb and Jonathan Taylor. Well, I mean, I never really saw C.D. Lamb as a piece for this year, or maybe he could have been with Dak, but once Dak went down, he became more of a, a stash for the future. Anyway, my team is not doing too well right now. I scored 80 points in a super flex league. So it's it's hard, but just trying to make the most of it. Um, this week was a little bit extra weird because running back production was all kinds of awful, which you could... <laughs> I think that this week, Kalen Balaj was one of the top performers in fantasy at running back. If that gives you uh, an inclination of how bad this week actually was for the position. So we're going to get into that. So as always, what we're going to do is we're going to hit it kind of game by game. What we feel are the bigger stories, some things that have fantasy relevance and potential uh, implications moving forward. So Sharif, let's start off with Thursday night football. Green Bay, San Francisco. Green Bay was expected to pretty much dominate this game like they did because of San Francisco's, you know, laundry list of injuries. And one player who stepped up was Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, he's a guy who has been pretty up and down throughout his career in Green Bay thus far. What are your thoughts of MVS? Um... It was impressive to, uh, as most people put it, actually see him hold on to the football for a change. Um, he has had a case of the dropsies uh, when it comes to 2020. And obviously, since pretty much since the draft, uh, you know, people have been talking about, yo, who's going to be that second receiver um, behind Devontae Adams? Because, you know, the Packers could use someone else to help uh, provide a spark in the offense. It was supposed to be whatever wide receiver they would draft in the first round. But for some reason, they draft Jordan Love, you know, not to beat that overhead. Um, and then obviously, Alan Lazard looked to be that guy. But then he went down with a core muscle injury that needed surgery. But he's expected back soon. Uh, MVS played well, um, saw four targets, caught two of them for 53 yards and two touchdowns. And obviously, as you can imagine, he was going against either – the third best corner or the fourth best corner, maybe the fifth best corner <laughs> for the 49ers. So, I mean, the matchup was in his favor, but obviously MVS has not impressed as much this year. Um, despite this performance, if he's on your waiver wire, at least in my opinion, I think you can leave him there because I, I still don't trust him. 
Yeah, I think that if you're in a really, really, really deep league, yeah, you can pick him up. But for the most part, uh, MVS is a guy that I am leaving on the waiver wire because you look at his stat line, he ended up with two receptions. He just happened to turn both of those into touchdowns, which makes his fantasy day obviously good, but less predictable, less repeatable. And then you think about a guy like Alan Lazard, who is going to be returning at some point uh, in the near future, we we presume. And uh, the, the potential target share could get even hairier for a guy like Marquez Valdez Scantling. And then San Francisco had <laughs> Richie James Jr. If you played Richie James Jr., please let me know. Send us a screenshot of your roster with Richie James Jr. in it. Because I don't think anybody could have seen this one coming. The The popular name was Trent Taylor. But then Richie James Jr. goes and actually produces what I believe was the number one wide receiver week this this week. So props to him. Uh, Sharif, does he have any chance of replicating this performance? Um, I think if, you know, if they're still dealing with the various wide receiver injuries and or uh, COVID-19 slash reserve incidences, then yes. But um, since Thursday night, I, I think the only person who's really still in danger of not playing is Kendrick Bourne, who was put on the reserve the, um, the COVID-19 slash reserve list earlier in uh, the week. I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. And then subsequently, guys like Brandon Ayuk, uh, were placed on that list, um, not because they tested positive, but just because they were deemed high risk, close contacts. And then obviously Debo Samuel wasn't going to play because he was dealing with, I think it was a hamstring injury or something of the sort. Um, so as long as none of those guys are touching the field, then I mean, sure, I guess you could see, you could say Richie James Jr. can go out there and have that kind of performance, but it was just. I mean, he on pretty much most of his catches, there wasn't a defender within ten yards of him. I'm pretty sure, like there wasn't any catches he really had to make that were that difficult. Like not many tight window throws. I don't remember one that Nick Mullins actually completed that was a tight window throw. So a lot of them are open. Um, and then you got to consider, you know, um, Jimmy Jimmy G uh, suffered his second high ankle injury. Um, and I think he's going to have to take a lot more time off. He, he, I think he's, they said he won't need surgery, but he'll be out, I think four to six weeks. Obviously they didn't have George Kittle. So that's like three or four guys that are ahead of Richie James Jr. Um, so as long as none of them are on the field, I mean, you could roll out Richie James, but I mean, you'd have to be exceptionally desperate. Yeah, I agree. I was reading a little bit on Richie James, and <laughs> I, I try not to get ahead of myself and, and to take some of the things that I read in stride, if you will. And one thing said that there is like a 2% chance that Richie James becomes the next version of Antonio Brown. And I was like, man, 2% seems kind of high. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Richie James Jr. is not a guy who is, you know, totally exciting me if, if you're like I said if you're in a really deep league you can probably add a guy like Richie James but it would be nothing more than a speculative ad 
mm-hmm. and probably in a guy that you don't feel comfortable putting in your lineup until you see some semblance of consistency moving forward. Um, Sharif, why don't you take us into the Denver Atlanta game? All right. Um, so Denver uh, visited the Falcons. The Falcons did end up winning the game, but it definitely got sweaty late. Um, the Falcons beat the Broncos 34 to 27. Um, what I wanted to touch on regarding this game was uh, wide receiver Jerry Judy for the Denver Broncos, even though he was on the team with a losing effort. It was not because of him. Just wanted to uh, point out his involvement on the offense. He received 14 targets, caught seven of them for 125 yards and one one touchdown, good for 18.5 fantasy points and half PPR formats. And I believe that's wide receiver six for the week. So, Nick, Jerry Judy has been coming on as of late, um, but do you – do you think he's a guy you could start in your lineup, say in a league you have to start three wide receivers? Do you think it's someone you can start with confidence? Um, not exactly with confidence yet to me. Um, now we know that Jerry Judy's a very, very talented player, uh, has the potential to be the best wide receiver in this class. Um, I just, I have my reservations about, you know, crowning him or anything like that as like a fantasy starter at this point, because I want to see him more with Drew Locke and he is still only the wide receiver 37 on the year. Um, That's not to say that he's played poorly or anything. He's had um, some quarterback fluctuation, you know, some quarterback variability there with uh, Drew Locke's injuries. So um, he's a guy who, has a chance to be a weekly starter, but I don't feel comfortable doing it yet. And if you like, if if you needed to start Jerry Judy, there's worse things in the world. Like if he is your wide receiver three, it's okay. It's just a little less than ideal. Fair enough. Um, just you know, something I wanted to ask, especially because yeah, he really has only had one other week. He's been usable. In lineups, if I can use that word, other than this past week, um, he had a week four where he put up uh, 13.1 fantasy points, but that was only on four targets. But it looks like his targets are picking back up as of late because this past week he had 14 targets and then a week eight had 10. So it looks like his involvement in the offense is increasing, but I agree with you. I'd want to see more um, before we completely invest in Jerry Judy. On the other side, another guy I'm not willing to invest in, but just, you know, someone to point out other than the usuals. Uh, Olamide Zacchaeus saw five targets, caught four of them for 103 yards and one touchdown. Uh, And that was good for 16.3 fantasy points. So in half PPR format, he was tied for number 13th for wide receiver 13 with Keenan Allen. So that shows you the kind of week he has. So Nick, with when it comes to Olamiza Kias, do you think this is someone you should be getting off the waiver wire? Or is this just one of those instances where it's like, yeah, he had a good game, but can't trust it? Um, I would say you cannot trust it. And the reason being is that 
Calvin Ridley is going to be working his way back from his injury. And really when it's when Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are in the lineup, there's really not too many other people that you want to trust. Maybe Hayden Hurst, even him I'm not thrilled with trusting. Um, now we, we differ a little bit on Hayden Hurst, but, um, Olamid Zacchaeus, he kind of has the feel of like Taylor Gabriel to me, where like, you know, that there's going to be some of these games where like, for some reason, Taylor Gabriel is going off for like 120 yards and two touchdowns. And he's going to be the top waiver wire ad. And then like, you feel comfortable, you you look at your team, you're like, all right, I could use that kind of game from Taylor Gabriel. You throw him in your lineup, and he has, like, zero targets. Um, I think that that could be the kind of guy that Olamide Zacchaeus is moving forward, especially when Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are both healthy. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where I would just leave it alone. Um, it was a good game, but obviously it looks like whenever uh, Calvin Ridley is going to miss a game that Olamid Zacchaeus will fill in for his spot within the offense. Um, but obviously, if there's no Calvin Ridley, I think the only pass catcher you can reliably trust are tight end Hayden Hurst and obviously uh, the great uh, Julio Jones. Uh, Nick, why don't you take us to our next game? All right. This was a, I don't know, this felt to me a little bit like a surprise. Seattle Buffalo and Buffalo actually beats Seattle 44 to 34 and a player who had already been sort of volatile showed off his volatility. Once again, Tyler Lockett has a, uh, a subpar game um, to the tune of, let me, let me grab his stats really quick. Um, but it was another game where he kind of took a backseat to rising superstar DK Metcalf uh, Tyler Lockett points. had what's that? Had six fantasy points. Yeah, he had forty receiving yards. So he's still the number five wide receiver on the season, which is nothing to sneeze at. But if you look at his overall games, you know he starts the season thirteen points, sixteen points. He has an explosion for thirty-two and a half, four point nine, six point four, and then he has another explosion for forty-five points. 5.3, 6.0. So outside of two games, he's been either average or pretty well below average. Do you just have to throw him into your lineup every week and just hope for the best? Like hope he gives you one of those boom games because you know that there's going to be some of those highs? Or are you starting to reach a point where you don't want that kind of variability in your lineup? <sighs> I think when it comes to Tyler Lockett, I think you just have to continue to use him in your lineup. And I guess you can pretend he's Deshaun Jackson or some Tyreek Hill, maybe in the event that because of the air yards. And I mean, granted, DK Metcalf is like the king of air yards right now in the NFL um, by a wide margin. But like when you look at Tyler Lockett, the game week seven that he had the 45 or basically 46 fantasy points, he saw 20 targets, you know, caught 15 of them for 200 yards and three touchdowns. And then the only other time he blew up was, uh, and that was with his longest catch being 47 yards. And then week three, when he had the 30 
basically 33 fantasy points. He saw 13 targets, caught nine of them for 100 yards and three touchdowns, and his long was 43. So I think it's just because of his average depth of target. And, I mean, you could say the same about DK Metcalf, that these are guys that are just – they're too their upside is too high for you to sit them unless you have an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position and you can afford to sit them and not, you know, uh, not regret – uh, passing on their upside. Yeah, I think it's just Tyler Lockett. He's one of those guys. And Seattle's, you know, obviously their defense is historically bad. So they're going to be in positive game scripts when it comes to the passing game. So I think at this point, you got to throw him in your lineup and hope for the best. Hope that he reaches his upside. Because when he does, you're winning your matchup, whoever you're playing. Yeah, I, I can't imagine taking him out of my lineup. He's just the kind of guy that you're not going to feel good about it all the time because you don't know exactly what Tyler Lockett you're going to get. And it could be Tyler Lockett in a good matchup or a bad matchup. And it doesn't really matter what the matchup is for him because, one, Russell Wilson is so good, but also Russell Wilson can throw to anyone. Like It could be a DK Metcalf game or it could be, heck, a David Moore game. So keep him in your lineup just kind of set your expectations low so that whatever happens, you're not beating yourself up. That's where I would be with a a guy like Tyler Lockett. Then Gabriel Davis for the bills. He's been a, a highly talked about guy, a guy who uh, there have been rave reviews about from the bills organization. Um, And he actually stepped up and had a pretty nice game himself. 15 fantasy points. He had 70 receiving yards and a touchdown, four receptions. Um, It was good to see him kind of get off the schneid, if you will. Um, But still, overall, the number 69 wide receiver on the season, nice. And uh, for me personally, I'm not ready to throw him into my lineups. I think he's a nice dynasty add if he hasn't already been scooped up off of waivers in your league but not a guy who I definitely would be rushing to add in a season-long league, and I wouldn't be starting him either. Yeah, he's kind of the guy where um, he just has to score a touchdown, and even then, that may not necessarily pan out his week. I mean, he's had two usable weeks if you're in a deep league. Obviously, this past week was his best performance because he caught four of his five targets for 70 yards and one touchdown good for 15 half PPR fantasy points um but week eight had zero points on two targets the week before that 1.6 the week before that 1.2 and then 8.3 so I think it's just the kind of guy where if bots if you know Buffalo is going to be in that kind of game script like they were against the Seahawks where pretty much it's who's the last one to score is the one who's going to win kind of thing, then you could probably plug someone like Gabriel Davison. But if it's a, even like close to a normal game script or even just like a regular, like say the over-under is like in the mid-40s, I don't think you can play someone like Gabriel Davis. But if you know the game is could reach the 50s, maybe the 60s, you could probably throw him out there as a dart throw. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the Bills – If you think about what the Bills have been in recent years, not so much this year, uh, they've been a more run-heavy team 
So you kind of you kind of still have that feel that the games are going to be a little bit more low scoring. But this year, the Bills have been one of the pass happiest teams. Uh, Josh Allen hasn't run the ball as much as he was, and even guys like Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, who I think are well, make up a talented backfield. I'll say. Um, they haven't been getting as much run this year either. So the games are going to tend to be a little bit on the higher side of scoring, um, especially with how well they've played this year. Now, moving into Chicago, Tennessee. Tennessee wins 24-17 uh, over Chicago. Nick Foles had himself a pretty decent fantasy game. Um, hit the 20-point threshold. He had 21.4 points to be exact. Um, are you starting Nick Foles, Sharif? Um, he's interesting in two QB leagues. Um, now, if you if you play in a league where it's like a you know just like you start one quarterback, Nick Foles, I'm not even sure he's really on the streaming radar because I think there's more guys with Drew uh, with more upside, such as guys like uh, Drew Locke. I'm just thinking of guys that would be on the waiver wire in one QB leagues, maybe even Jake Luton, if two was out there, you know, like there, I think there's guys with more upside as a streamer, but yeah, two QB leagues and super flex leagues. I think you can get, give Nick Foles a try as much as we bash him on this show and the real sports show. Um, you know, Nick Foles is still going to get the opportunities. And obviously this game, the game script favored them. Um, because Nick Foles threw 53 times, and anytime you can get that. I mean, granted, he didn't throw an interception, which is impressive, um, and threw two touchdowns. So, yeah, if you're in two QB leagues, um, I would give Nick Foles a shot. Yeah, I think so, too. I He's another guy who maybe he doesn't – he's not the most exciting, like, second quarterback. Um, but he is a guy who has some good weapons in the offense. Um, you know, you think about Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Anthony Miller, if if you're on the Anthony Miller uh, hype train, uh, Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet. So there's guys there for him to throw to. And I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what to make of the Bears team because they've actually, I would say they've overperformed, but they're ha- they're in these games. So I would expect that to continue moving forward. So Nick Foles is a guy who you could start with some semblance of confidence uh, in two quarterback leagues. I think he could be a streamer in a one quarterback league. Just not like wouldn't feel great about that. I'll say that. Um, And then John U. Smith, who has been one of the better tight ends in fantasy all year. um, Let's see. Had a, he had an okay game. He had a receiving touchdown, 32 receiving yards. It ultimately ends with about 10.2 fantasy points, depending on your league uh, format, if it's full PPR or, you know, what have you. Um, Shreve, what are your thoughts of Janu Smith? Uh, as of right now, I think if you if you play in a league where, I mean, I feel like most leagues are like this just because of the, uh, I guess you could say the amount of given the tight end situation, how shallow it is. Um, If John Smith's on your waiver wire, 
which he might not be, but I mean, might as well be. It, it just looks like ever since he suffered his injury, which if I remember, I don't know if it was like ankle injury or something like that. He yeah, just hasn't been seeing the yeah. Um, he just hasn't been seeing the targets. I mean, he starts off the season with seven targets, five targets, eight targets, seven. Then this is from week six through week nine, the week that just passed. Two, four, two, two. Like, I don't know if you can really bank on that. And any any of those weeks where he's had four or less targets, if he didn't score a touchdown, the most he scored was 3.9 points. And even then, when you consider 10.2 points, and this is more not necessarily that he played this well, but just more how shallow the tight end position is, 10.2 points is good for tight end eight and half PPR formats. So obviously at this point, if you don't have guys like Travis Kelsey, um, I can't even really say George Kittle because he may not come back this season. I mean, I can't say guys like Zach Ertz who have either been hurt or not worth playing. I mean, at this point, like Jimmy Graham was tight end too. <laughs> Jimmy Graham. I mean, it, it's it's bad. So, yeah, I think John Smith, now if you play in those weird – QB, those weird leagues where you have to play two tight ends or let's say, you know, it's super flex league and you like to go with tight ends. I mean, you could use Janu in that instance, but if you have to start one tight end, it's probably going against better judgment, but just looking at the peripheral numbers, I would leave Janu Smith alone. Yeah. I, I err on the side of playing him, but I think that one thing that has hurt him more than anything else is the return of A.J. Brown. Like, you think about when Jonu Smith was really, really balling consistently. It was when A.J. Brown was out. And uh, with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown on the field, it just seems like there aren't enough targets to go around for all of them, and you know that A.J. Brown is going to get his. So uh, Jonu Smith was basically an elite play for a few weeks. Um he is no longer that. I personally still think you need to play him uh, because I don't like the chances of you having Travis Kelsey and John o. Smith on the same team aren't too good, right? Like, I don't know what better, like, definitely better options you have. So uh, it's tough. The tight end position is always a wasteland. And this year, is more of the same, really. Even a guy like Mark Andrews, who we can talk about a little bit more, uh, who we all kind of believe is sort of like bordering on that elite tight end level, he's having a bad year. Um, so, yeah, tight end is tough. It's really all I can say. I would personally keep playing him, but wouldn't inspire a ton of confidence. Um, Sharif, why don't you take us into the Baltimore game? Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. All right. Uh, The Baltimore Ravens paid a visit to the Indianapolis Colts and proceeded to win 24 to 10. Uh, Lamar Jackson in that game. Just let me pull it up right fast and in a hurry. Uh, Lamar Jackson uh, completed 19 of 23 passes for 173 yards. Also ran 13 times for 58 yards and one touchdown. Good for 18.6. Uh, fantasy points, which made him QB 19. Uh, so that's, I mean, 
if you have Lamar Jackson, you have to play him because the way most draft boards worked out is that if you didn't take him by the third round, some people were taking him as early as the first. You invested a high amount of draft capital, so you have to play him. My opinion of Lamar Jackson is he's obviously, at least from what he's shown so far, he's obviously not the MVP Lamar Jackson that everybody was projecting him to be, or at least he's not even close to that. Um, he's had some a few weeks you can depend on, but it's just like, you know, it's he's just not passing the ball well. I mean, his completion percentages show that he is, but when you consider that for the entire season, his the most passing yards he's gone for in a game is 275, and the most he's ever actually thrown the ball in a game is 37. It's just there's not enough volume there to help out with his passing. And obviously the whole point of Lamar Jackson was that he provides the rushing upside and he's doing fine with that. Obviously this past week had four and a half yards of carry the week before that 16 for 65, nine for one Oh eight, so on and so forth. So he's still running a ball. It's just the passing is what really put him into that like Patrick Mahomes stratosphere. When we talk about fantasy quarterbacks and he's just not passing the ball well at all. Um, and you even see from teammates like Marquise Brown that, you know, the Ravens just don't, they want to, they want to play like Seattle used to want to play and how Minnesota wants to play now. They just want to rely on the running game and only pass if they have to. So if you have Lamar Jackson, you have to play him, especially if you're in a two QB league, if you're in a one QB league, I mean, I guess you can get away with it. If you have like a, say a Justin Herbert or Tannehill. Tannehill, someone like that, then maybe you can get away with it. But at this point, Lamar Jackson, one of those guys, like you don't, you're not inspired to play him, but you don't really have a choice. Yeah, if you bench Lamar Jackson, you know he's going to rush for like three touchdowns in a game, probably have like 120 yards on the ground. That's that's what's going to happen when you bench Lamar Jackson. So I would not recommend it. Um, just to further your point about the passing numbers and the volume and all of that stuff, you know, I understand that the the receiving weapons on this team are not traditional at all. Like he doesn't have a big body wide receiver, um, unless you're counting Des Bryant, and I'm not. Like I think it's I think Des Bryant has been a good comeback story, but not a guy who I see as a legitimate uh, weapon for Lamar Jackson. He has Marquise Brown, who's a very talented player. Mark Andrews, who probably, like, with a normal quarterback, if you will, Mark Andrews is probably a set-it-and-forget-it, like, top two, two, three tight end. I guess now two, uh, next to Travis Kelsey, because Kittle's out. But uh, Lamar Jackson isn't throwing the ball enough to give Mark Andrews uh, volume. Uh, the tar- the touchdowns aren't there for Mark Andrews. Overall, the offense, even though the the Ravens are a good enough to team to win ugly, the offense doesn't feel like it's clicking pretty much at all. And most players outside of Lamar Jackson, you don't even feel comfortable starting uh, these days, which is kind of a shame because this should be a fantasy goldmine. But... Don't need to harp on that too much. 
Um, on the flip side, we have Michael Pittman Jr. And uh, let's see. I want to make sure I get his exact stats in front of me. All right. Had four receptions for 56 yards. Sharif, what were your thoughts on Michael Pittman? Uh, so Michael Pittman Jr. had seven targets, uh, caught four of them for 56 yards. This was more or less just to remind people that if he is on your waiver wire, because um, he did return last week, but he wasn't um, that much involved. I can uh, double check that. But this is more or less just a reminder that, hey, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. has been one of those guys that was highly touted coming out of the draft. Um, obviously, things didn't work out that way, but it looks like before he got hurt that the target share was increasing in his favor. And then you even see his second game back from the injury. He saw seven targets, um, which I believe looking at the numbers, he tied for the team lead with Marcus Johnson. This is more or less just that there really are no other threats to him. I mean, you can you can maybe say Zach Pascal, but it's Zach Pascal. We've been there before. Um, obviously, there's no Paris Campbell. There's no T.Y. Hilton right now, and none of the tight ends are really moving forward and becoming the primary guy. So this is just a reminder that Michael Pittman Jr., if he's on your waiver wire, I would say pick him up now. I wouldn't say start him right away, um, but I could only see his production increasing from this point on. Yeah, I'm I'm a little more hesitant about Michael Pittman. Um, I was just reading that T.Y. Hilton took the practice field today. Uh, it sounds like the Colts are kind of optimistic that he's going to be able to go uh, this coming week moving forward. So um, he's worth a speculative ad, but not a guy who I would be throwing into my lineup uh, anytime soon unless I saw some kind of upward trend or a little more stability in his weekly numbers. But a talented player nonetheless, and uh, something that Colts fans should be excited for moving forward. Um, taking this to the Carolina uh, Panthers and Kansas City Chiefs game. Christian McCaffrey was out here doing Christian McCaffrey things. Unfortunately, he ends up injuring both his shoulder and his ribs, um, and he is considered day-to-day moving forward. But just want to focus on the positive there. Christian McCaffrey was back, and I don't know if we should be surprised, but he looked exactly like Christian McCaffrey. So good to see him back on the field. Uh, the game is definitely better when he's playing, and he's obviously the gold standard for running back production at this point. Um, Sharif, if McCaffrey misses again uh, this week with the shoulder and rib injuries, are you throwing Mike Davis right back out there in your starting lineup? Without hesitation. Yeah, I mean, the past couple of weeks lead into Christian McCaffrey returning uh, we're not promising for Mike Davis, but I mean, you just have to remember, and that was me hitting my mic if the feedback hit, uh, I do apologize. When you look at the games that Mike Davis had filling in for Christian McCaffrey, I mean, we remember week two when McCaffrey hurt his ankle in that game and Mike Davis proceeded to have to catch eight of eight targets or 74 yards. But then the weeks after that, 15.1 fantasy points, 17.1. 
20.9 and then obviously it dipped from there um which you could say was either tougher competition as they played teams like Chicago uh New Orleans um and Atlanta so you could say that the competition stiffened um but yeah if McCaffrey is going to miss again then I uh, you roll up Mike Davis I would say surefire RB2 yeah, I agree. I I think that maybe Mike Davis performed just a little bit over his head in those first couple of weeks without McCaffrey. That's not to knock Mike Davis at all, but um, a lot of people were touting him as a set-it-and-forget-it running back one, which might just have been setting the standards a little bit too high. But Mike Davis has proved that he can be a very fantasy-relevant player in the McCaffrey role. So, yeah, if McCaffrey's forced to miss time, get Mike Davis into your lineups. And, uh, you know, for his sake, we hope that Christian McCaffrey is able to go this weekend without any limitations or anything like that. But looking at the other backfield, the Kansas City Chiefs have become basically a straight-up mess, uh, which is a big shame because Clyde Edwards-Elair has been uh, good by every measure that you could ask for. Um, He hasn't always gotten the red zone looks or anything of that matter, but he's been a very good player for the Chiefs. So this week, um, and I again just want to make sure that I get my numbers correct, this is actually from footballguys.com. So if you have a chance, check those guys out. Clyde Edwards-Elair played 25 snaps, Daryl Williams played 18, and Le'Veon Bell played 19. So it was basically a fairly even three-way split. Clyde Clyde Edwards-Elair led, but it wasn't by a comfortable margin. Um, This was always going to be the the pickle once the Chiefs signed Le'Veon Bell. And how does this affect your decision-making if you own any of these guys, probably not Daryl Williams, but especially a guy like Le'Veon Bell or uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair. It's tough. Uh, and what makes it even tougher is because the past couple of games for the Chiefs, I mean, this game was competitive, but it's been where the Chiefs look like they just abandoned the run. Against the Jets, I think CEH only had seven carries, and I think uh, Bell had, I think, about the same amount, four or five. And they were no threat of losing that game. You know, game script is just like, I don't know if this is just the way the Chiefs are changing. Like, they're going to pass no matter the game script. I would love to see the numbers of what their offense is like in a neutral game script and then see how it changes when they're down versus when they're up and, you know, things like that, those third-level stats. But honestly, I mean, Le'Veon Bell was always going to be a dart throw until we saw him get more involved. And at this point, he's basically a bench stash, basically as a handcuff. CEH, I want to say he's an RB2, but he's not even getting the opportunities of one. Um, When you look at he only scored 10.9 fantasy points, that puts him... At tied for running back 18, which still, you know, makes him an RB2. 
but at the very low end. And then you also have to consider running back was pretty rough this week. If you didn't have Dalvin Cook or Christian McCaffrey, that was pretty much it because the next, the third highest uh, scoring running back was 15.9 points, and that was James Robinson. And then obviously McCaffrey at 32.1, and then Dalvin Cook at 38.2. So this was just a bad week for running backs where as long as they scored 10 points, they were basically a starting running back. Um, which, you know, the average number is normally higher. Um, I would say it's too late to sell high on CEH. So I think if you still have them, you just got to hold on to them and hope for better days. Yeah. And to me, the scariest thing about, you know, all the stats, like obviously you look at his 10.9 points he had in half PPR leagues and you're like, all right, I can live with that. It's not good, but I can live with it, right? Um, He had five carries. Five carries. That's rough. Like that, you you can't have a, let, let me rephrase. You cannot predict a decent fantasy game with five carries. Even if you add in his, what was it, three catches, eight touches is not a fantasy relevant player. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm, I'm very skeptical to play. Clyde Edwards Elair, and that's probably it would be pretty hard to take him out of my lineup because in redraft, you have to think what Clyde Edwards Elair was going as uh towards the later the later drafts, he was basically running back five. He was a you know, number one, he was a first round pick. So it is hard to take him out of your lineup, understanding what you have invested in him. And even knowing how talented he is, it's just the production is it it's not predictable enough for you to say that he's going to produce. And uh it's scary. And if I did have uh, an embarrassment of riches at running back, you know, think about a guy like James Robinson who might not have cost you anything. You might have been able to pick him up off of waivers. Um I would be hoping that I was able to bench him, but it's probably hard to. Um, all right, Sharif, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your favorite lion ever, the one and only Marvin Jones Jr. <laughs> it's a great joke. But yeah, uh, <laughs> the Lions visited the uh, Vikings and lost 34 to 20 Marvin Jones surprisingly well I guess not surprisingly because Kenny Galladay missed the game with a hip injury and obviously there was no one else um, but Marvin Jones had four targets caught three of them for 43 yards and one touchdown um, which you know just to give some perspective that put him at tied for wide receiver 29 with Emmanuel Sanders and um, looking at this using the game day feature on fantasypros.com, but I can only see within a top 30. So Marvin Jones was a start, you know, he was a, you could start him and not, you know, suffer. Um, I mean, there's not much to really say about Marvin Jones. We, you know, he's obviously a good wide receiver. We've seen him play, you know, even going back to his days in Cincinnati. Um, he hasn't really done much this year. But the past couple of games um, with the 
injury to Galladay. He's put up, uh, let me actually bring this up in half PBR. This past week, 11.8 fantasy points. And then a week before that, 17.4 and then 10.5. So it looks like he's staying involved in his offense. And I think if you have Marvin Jones, as long as Kenny Galladay is missing the game, you can roll out a Marvin Jones as a flex play. 100%. I really don't have anything to add because that's basically just how it is. Marvin Jones is sort of a frustrating player, somewhat touchdown dependent, um, barring one of his explosion games, which you never know. Marvin Jones is a capable player of that. Um, But especially as long as Matthew Stafford is healthy uh, and I believe that last game he was he left early. Um, if Matthew Stafford's healthy and Kenny Galladay's out, Marvin Jones is quite a playable fantasy player. So he'd be a guy who I'd be willing to place in the flex uh, as a very high upside kind of play. Um, and then why don't you also talk to us a little bit about Irv Smith Jr.? Irv Smith Jr. Uh, actually impressed, even though there wasn't much production there. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings tight end had four targets, caught two of them for 10 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, not much there in terms of yardage, but as you can imagine, because of how shallow the tight end position is, 14 half PBR points puts him at tight end three behind Jimmy Graham and Travis Kelsey. So, you possibly won your week if you put him in your lineup because he was one of the few usable tight ends. Um, he hasn't really done much this year, and I'm, I believe he's pretty much been splitting the snaps between himself and Kyle Rudolph. So, and yeah, I mean, when you look at this, was clearly his best game, and then the next best game was Week Six when he had nine point five fantasy points on five targets. So, uh. You have Irv Smith, and I mean, this might be the, the same route as like the John o. Smith uh, take I had. If you play in a league where it's, you know, a super flex and or a two tight end league, if your man, your commissioners are that outside of the box, you could roll out Irv Smith. Otherwise, if it's a league where you only have to play one tight end, you can leave Irv Smith on the waiver wire. Yeah, um, I think that Irv Smith is a nice dynasty stash. I think that someday he's going to come into his own kind of uh, in the Evan Ingram mold of tight ends, which is, you know, you think of undersized, but physically gifted athletic players. Um, I think that he has a chance to be very good there for dynasty, but he's not a guy who's working his way into my starting lineup in any kind of redraft or uh, daily fantasy or anything like that. At this point, I like Irv Smith. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. Um, but. He just hasn't worked his way into like fantasy consistency just yet. All right. So taking it to another divisional game, New York Giants took on the Washington football team. And it seems like the Washington football team is the only team that the Giants can beat. Um, they actually won this game 23-20. to I kind of expected the, the football team to get this one, but um, we've been talking a lot about tight end and how 
dreadful the position is this year. So let's talk a little bit about Evan Ingram, who ends up with five catches for 48 yards and a touchdown, which obviously puts him as one of the top uh, players at the tight end position this week. Um, overall, I would say it's been a an up and down year for Evan Ingram, and you know he's been a pretty scrutinized player, but he is tight end ten on the year. So is he a guy who you're now considering a little bit more throwing him into your lineup, or do you see him pretty much as a floor play, which at the tight end position is already low? Um, what are your thoughts on Evan Ingram? So Evan Ingram has been a, a frustrating tight end for the past few years, um, mostly because of what we've seen from him. Um, his best year, obviously, was his first year in 2017, where he saw 115 targets and got uh, 722 receiving yards, six touchdowns. And ever since then, it's been injuries and inconsistency that's gotten away. And more or less, this year has just been inconsistency. Um so he's been hard to trust, even though he is getting a healthy target share. So it's not like he's someone you can bench because if you can get your tight end to have 10 targets, I mean, even good tight ends don't even get half of that. Um, when you think of someone like Mark Andrews, um, maybe, well, Zach Ertz gets peppered with targets, but he just have not done much with them. So I think if you have Evan Ingram, I think you could – you could take this chance to sell high if there even is a possibility. This is his first receiving touchdown of the season. Um, so anyone who may be hurting at tight end, say they have to start someone like, I don't even know if I can go low enough on this chart. Say they have to start someone like, let's just put a name out here. Say Tyler Eifert, <laughs> Dalton Show. I'm not even sure who people are starting nowadays. This this is rough. Uh, or someone like Jimmy Graham. You could probably roll out someone like Evan Ingram and or you know say like yo you know you have Irv Smith Jr. or Darren Waller hasn't been you know too impressive. Hey, maybe you might want some Evan Ingram, especially if the Giants are going to keep force feeding him the ball. I mean, I have no interest in Evan Ingram, but. I would say just based off of opportunities, I mean, the guy is getting seven, eight targets a game as a tight end in an offense that's going to be in negative game scripts in pretty much every game they play. So Evan Ingram, I would say, considering all that, is pretty much like a low-end tight end one. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly where he is. Um, Evan Ingram is a talented player, but the Giants haven't been able to really unlock him since his rookie year. Um which is a shame because he, he can be a very, very good player. But you just haven't seen enough to feel comfortable starting uh, Evan Ingram, especially this year. Um, if you think about his games, give me a second, I'm going to pull up his game log. Um, I believe that this was his first week topping 10 points. So, all right, week one, 1.9, 9.5, 3.7, 6.5, 9.0. and this week he finally hit 13.3. So uh, that's a lot of numbers. Anyway, all I'm really saying is uh, those games outside of this week are not really winning you anything. 
And it just so happens to be that he hasn't had his bye week yet. Um, and the, the position is so bad that he still manages to be the tight end 10. So you can play him. My my inkling is just that he's probably not winning you anything. You hope that he just doesn't lose anything for you. You know what I mean? Um, right. Yeah. So Evan Ingram is a totally unsexy kind of most of the time floor play. Um, and then, oh man, I've got the wrong Sims. You know, how messed up is it that the football team has two Sims they have Steven Sims and Cam Sims. All kinds of messed up. Very confusing. <laughs> At first, I thought they was like, oh, so maybe Steven Sims, maybe Steven is his middle name. So they finally started using his first name. And then I was like, oh, Cam Sims is actually a different person. Yeah, that's very, uh, very uh, disingenuous, if you will. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of this. Um, Cam Sims has three catches for 110 yards. Um, obviously this kind of is, it's due in part to Kyle Allen's injury where he, uh, he suffered an ankle injury. It looked similar to Dak Prescott's. Um, luckily it's said to not be quite as severe. He is expected or he either, either already had, or is expected to have surgery to, uh, repair his ankle and uh, a small fracture. So first of all, prayers to him. And, uh, you know, sending all of the, the good thoughts his way because it was a nasty-looking injury. But Alex Smith comes in and I would say for the most part looked pretty good in this game and was a big part for Cam Sims' success. So if Alex Smith is going to remain the starter for the rest of the year, which all indications are that's going to be how it plays out, is Cam Sims a guy who you should be thinking a little bit more about? Like maybe adding him into your team, like speculatively? Or... Uh, not just yet. I mean, if you have the space that you can afford, I mean, he's pretty much the deepest of stashes, even in a deep league, just because, you know, he still has to come after guys like running back JD McKissick still out here getting 14 targets. But then you got Antonio Gibson, who got three targets, Terry McLaurin, who got eight targets. And then, I mean, then Logan Thomas is still there. So, I think if you if let's say you're one of the teams that you just don't you're not really active on the waiver wire and let's say you have an open bench spot or maybe even two as you know as much as it's usually advised to at least just have someone there if you're pretty set in your starting lineup and you want to see if Cam Sims can become a thing especially since we haven't seen Alex Smith other than one other time this is and this upcoming week will be his first time starting this season um, I mean, I would use your term. It's a speculative ad, but yeah, I, I don't suggest starting him. Just see what happens. Most likely next week, he probably won't be a thing. And then you can safely drop him. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's pretty much how it most often works out with a guy like Cam Sims. And that's nothing to, to knock him. But uh, it, you see it a lot where a guy flashes and you get your hopes up, you add him to your team, maybe you even start him. And then obviously, like, because he doesn't have the pedigree or, you know, the the trust of his coaching staff, 
doesn't usually end up repeating that kind of standout performance. So he is worth the ad, especially in the deepest of deepest of leagues, like Sharif was saying. But uh, do not put him in your lineup and expect anything close to you know his three catch for 110 yard performance. Um. All right. Then Houston, Jacksonville, Houston ekes this one out, 27-25. And one of the stories of this game was David Johnson goes down with a concussion, and Duke Johnson actually stepped up and put up 13.3 fantasy points in a half PPR league. Um, I believe that even though I, I think that David Johnson has had better finishes per game, like uh, in terms of points, I believe that this week was the highest a Texans running back has finished in terms of running back rankings at the end of the week. So, and it was Duke Johnson with his 13.3 points. Like we said, it was a bad week for the running back position. If David Johnson is set to miss any time, where would you have a guy like Duke Johnson ranked? Well, I mean, if he doesn't get the touchdown, and I mean, obviously these are statements people hate because it's like it's a part of the game. But let's just say, you know, he wasn't particularly impressive on the ground. Um, 16 for 41. You know, that's like, what, not even two and a half yards of carry. And caught all four of his targets for 32 yards. It did have a fumble. Um, but obviously uh, – the Texans don't really have a choice but to play him. So if Duke Johnson misses, I would say at best Duke Johnson is an RB2. But I'm I'm leaning more towards he's a borderline RB2, borderline RB3. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, one, I'll say that's kind of a shame because I really believe that Duke Johnson is a – pretty talented player. Like we've been back and forth on this several times since, you know, God knows when before the show was even a thing. Um, and Duke Johnson has had fantasy success before when given opportunity, especially if you use him in the receiving role, but, um, it doesn't feel like the Texans backfield is conducive to his style of play. Um, I don't even feel like it's making the most out of a guy like David Johnson, who, I mean, yeah, he's probably over the hill, but I still think that he has more to give than what he's shown this year. Maybe I'm wrong. I I very well could be. Um, I would err on the side of caution and put him right into that running back three mix and maybe say he's a running back three with upside. Um, All right. And Sharif, why don't you talk to us a little bit about DJ DJ Chark. Uh, DJ Chark, I think, had his uh, breakout game of the season. He saw 12 targets, caught seven of them for 146 yards and one touchdown. Um, Obviously, the touchdown is probably the one that's getting played on a lot of these uh, sports outlets, if you will, since it was a 73-yard touchdown by rookie Jake Luton or Luton. I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation is, but be that as it may, this is about DJ Chark. Um, He did have a better game or he has had a more productive fantasy day, Um, but that was in week four and it was only one and a half 
more points. And in that game, he had one more touchdown. So the point is, DJ Chark, I think as long as he's healthy, um, he's getting looks either from Gardner Minshew or um, Luton. Um, and obviously this game, he took advantage of a vulnerable Houston team. And coming up in Week 10, they visit Green Bay. And obviously Green Bay, I mean, Green Bay gets shredded more on the ground, but I don't see Duke Johnson playing like Dalvin Cook per se. So I think the only way Houston will win the game is have to air it out. Or I'm sorry, Jacksonville. Um, Jacksonville will have to air it. I just thought Green Bay and then thought Houston. Um, but yeah. Uh, Jacksonville will have to air it out, even though James Robinson is really good. And even this past week had 25 carries for 99 yards, just couldn't get the 100. Um, But if they fall behind, which they probably will because it's the Jaguars, um, I think you can expect another big game out of uh, DJ Chark, especially if Luton is looking his way. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. they said that Jake Luton or, uh, you know, if, if you guys at home who are listening know how to s- pronounce his name correctly, please, by all means, correct us. <laughs> but uh, we are no no pros uh, with pronunciation. So it's funny they said he's like the next Gardner Minshew. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like that is both uh, a great comparison, but also kind of messed up because that means in you know, one and a half years, he'll probably end up losing his job also. But, you know, I digress. I just thought it was kind of a funny little story there. Uh, DJ Chark is a guy who can kind of produce no matter who's throwing him, no matter who is throwing to him. Um, And the guy who comes to mind is DeAndre Hopkins. And that's not to say that DJ Chark is as good as DeAndre Hopkins, but you think about all those years where Hopkins was catching balls from Tom Savage and Brock Osweiler, and I I can't even go down this whole list, to be honest, because it's rough. It's a bad list. Um, And I also just don't remember all of them off the top of my head. (laughs) And I kind of get the vibe that DJ Chark can produce sort of similarly. Uh, in the same fashion that Hopkins did, no matter who's throwing him the ball, he's going right. to put up some numbers. Just, you know, he's not Hopkins. But you get the idea. You get the comparison there. Um, Shreve, how about you take us into the, well, yeah, especially since it is your home, well, not hometown team, but your favorite team, um, the Chargers and Raiders game. So, unfortunately for me, uh the Las Vegas Raiders visited the Los Angeles Chargers and proceeded to beat them 31 to 26 again because the Chargers find another another way to lose uh, yet again. But this is less about my troubles with my team and more about what happened. I wanted to touch on before we get to the Balazs Barrage, uh, which we can actually finally talk about <laughs> again, uh, was on the Raiders side. There was a very... Uh, I guess you could say surprising split between uh, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker. Now, I didn't see the game, um, so I don't know what the game flow was like. You know, sometimes if you see something like this happen, you know, the starter couldn't go for a little bit or something like that. But, you know, Josh Jacobs 
had 14 carries for 65 yards and one touchdown, only saw one target, caught that one target for three yards. Devontae Booker had eight carries for 68 yards and one touchdown. And then Jalen Richard got into the mix with a carry and a catch. Um, and I really just wanted to bring it up because we just saw the previous week, I believe against the Chiefs, that Josh Jacobs had 31 carries. And not that I was expecting to get 31 carries, but I guess my point, that question is, is it troubling that now Josh Jacobs is basically splitting touches in this fashion with someone like Devontae Booker? I mean, overall, no. It's frustrating for your uh, week nine if you're a Jacobs manager, but it's I, I don't believe that there's anything to it. And it might even come down to the uh, – it might come down to Gruden and the coaching staff looking at Jacobs and saying, man – Carried it 31 times last week. Maybe we're going to take it a little bit easier on you this week so we can get you, uh, you know, just a little bit of rest moving for, for the future. Um, I don't think that there is any concern there about Jacob's workload moving forward. I will say one thing that has been troubling to me just a little bit is that Jacob's hasn't been a particularly efficient running back this year. Um, he is averaging only 3.65 yards per carry, which is pretty much the exact opposite of what you expect from a guy like uh, Josh Jacobs, who we all kind of agree is one of the best true runners of the football. Um, but it doesn't seem like the efficiency is so much there this year. That's not to say he's a bad player or anything like that. Um, just that maybe his blocking is not as good as it was last year or anything of that like, but no, I, I wouldn't be uh, terribly worried about Devonte uh, Booker eating into Jacob's workload. Yeah. That was just something I wanted to mention just because I guess it just, it caught me off guard because we saw Josh Jacobs get 31 carries. And obviously that was probably more of the game script. Um, on the other side, <laughs> Much to, I guess, all of our dismays. Uh, other than the usuals, you know, Justin Herbert balled out, Keenan Allen balled out. Kalen the Barrage Balash had 15 carries for 69 yards and one touchdown, saw three targets, caught two of them for 15 yards. So, and this will actually be in direct comparison to Josh Kelly because Justin Jackson. I think only played two snaps but couldn't go because of a knee injury he suffered during pregame warmups. And obviously we assume that if Justin Jackson isn't playing, Josh Kelly would fill in and he only had nine carries for 28 yards. Did see five targets, caught all five of them for 31 yards. So going forward, let's say Justin Jackson uh, with his knee can't go in week 10. Who do you trust more? the Balazs Barrage or Josh Kelly? Talk about the toughest of choices. Well, I will, I'm going to cheat on this one. I am going to cheat because (laughs) as of yesterday, Kalen Balazs was actually demoted back to the practice squad. Oof. So, I mean, it seems like my mind is made up because the Chargers did me the favor. Uh, it seems like Joshua Kelly will be the easy choice. 
I mean, I will say if Kalen Balage was active uh, heading into week 10, this might be a tough choice because Joshua Kelly has not done a lot to inspire confidence uh, this year outside of when he was playing with Austin Eckler. He has been incredibly inefficient for the most of the year, outplayed by Justin uh, Jackson. Uh, unfortunately for Jackson, he doesn't seem to be able to stay healthy. So that's really the only knock on him. But he's been a good player when he's active. Um, I, I do have to say, we have ripped on Kalen Balage all year. And from a football perspective, rightfully so. Especially as it relates to Adam Gase, when he continues to sign Kalen Balage time after time. But I don't need to get too, too much into that. Um, it is kind of a shame that he gets sent back to the practice squad after he finally, finally, finally has a good performance. Like of all the times, uh, I, I, I don't know. I actually feel a little bit bad for him. It's probably where he belongs though. Uh, so as of right now, if you're looking at the chargers backfield, Austin Eckler remains out. Justin Jackson, uh, his status could be in doubt for Week 10. Kalen Balaj has been demoted back to the practice squad. And this leaves Joshua Kelly right now and possibly Troy Pope if they decide to bring him back up. So, yeah, give me Joshua Kelly in Week 10, I guess. Yeah, it's... Uh... I didn't realize <clears throat> that they already made that choice for you. So I guess good catch on your part. But yeah, uh, if Caleb Blodge was made active, which if Justin Jackson Jackson can't go, um, I could foresee them, you know, bringing Caleb Blodge back up from the practice squad just because of the uh, COVID-19 um, amendments, if you will, to the normal procedure. You can, you know, bring a guy from the practice squad as much as you want uh, to the next game. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, visited the Dallas Cowboys and beat them 24 to 19, even though Dallas did have a reasonable shot towards the end. The one guy I wanted to highlight from this game was uh, Ben Roethlisberger, who, you know, he is considered one of the usuals, but I didn't there wasn't really one wide receiver. I wanted to point out they all looked, had a productive game. So I guess when you consider a Ben, Big Ben, uh, was 29 of 42 for 306 yards and three touchdowns. Nick, and I know in two QB leagues, you're definitely playing Roethlisberger if you have him on your roster. But let's say you're in a one QB league. Is Big Ben a QB one for the rest of the season? I don't think so. I really don't. Um, And I think that it's, you know, multifactorial, of course, like, um, they've been finding ways to run the ball at the goal line like they never have before, like with Chase Claypool on a jet sweep or something like that. And it's been surprisingly effective. Um, I don't know. I just don't feel like this is the same Ben Roethlisberger that we've had all, all um, of his career. And obviously he is 38 years old. He He has aged. Like there is no denying that. But he has... Looking at his game log. 
He's never thrown up a straight-up dud, so I'll say that. That's a good thing. But he, it doesn't seem like the boom games are there either. Like He doesn't hit the 20-point threshold, which, personally, 20 points is where I... It's my cutoff for like a good fantasy, a good fantasy game from your quarterback, right? And he hasn't right. hit that a lot either. So, I don't know. I'm hoping to fade Ben Roethlisberger if I don't have better options. Um, and that's just kind of where I'm at. I think that there's a case to be made for him as a uh, quarterback one, but I don't think I would. Fair enough. Uh, and on the other side, we finally at least see some production on the Cowboys. And I guess Garrett, Garrett Gilbert, I guess I underestimated him, but who knows? It's his first, well, not his first game in the NFL, but I think it's his first time starting and throwing more than six passes in a game. C.D. Lamb, a Dallas Cowboys wide receiver, saw seven targets, caught four of them for 71 yards and one touchdown. Did have one fumble, but was still good for 13.1 fantasy points. Um, can you is CeeDee Lamb back on the radar as someone you can trust as a flex play, or are you you are you waiting to see more evidence of what this team looks like, especially with Andy Dalton waiting to come back off the uh COVID nineteen reserve list? Yeah. I'm a big fan of CeeDee Lamb. I think he's a very, very, very good player. But I need to see a lot more. Um to, to have any confidence in starting C.D. Lamb at this point. Just because, like, you think about um, how drastically different this offense has been under, you know, the, the myriad of quarterbacks that they've had to play this year. Like, the offense was humming with Dak Prescott, and then we saw it for a little while with Andy Dalton, and frankly, it looked Looked bad. Looked really bad. And then we saw it with um, Ben DiNucci, and it looked bad again. Or possibly it looked worse. And then it did look good with Garrett Gilbert, but they said that they're going back to Andy Dalton. So I need to see more of a connection uh, with really not just CeeDee Lamb, but any of the Cowboys receivers. I need to see them have some kind of rapport with Andy Dalton before I'm willing to really put any of them in my lineup, unfortunately. Makes sense. Yeah, I definitely don't blame you there. Um, I'm not trusting anyone on this Cowboys offense. I mean, I really I have Ezekiel Elliott in a league that we play in together, and I don't even really trust him, but he's just one of those players, and I guess Omari Cooper fits in the same mold is that they're too good to not play them because if there's ever a game where they catch on, you're going to regret not taking advantage of their upside. But the floor for the Cowboys ever since the the Prescott injury happened has been ridiculously low. So it's just hard to trust anybody at this point. But eventually Andy Dalton will come back and hopefully he'll steady the ship a little bit, and then maybe you can start trusting them. Uh, okay, we got three games left. So, Nick, why don't you take us to the Dolphins-Arizona game? All right. So, Miami wins this one over Arizona, 34-31. And I would say it was the first game from Tua where you saw him and you were like, okay, all right, that looks good. Now, obviously, this is his second game 
uh, his second start of the season. And he finishes with 21.42 fantasy points if you play, if if you use the sleeper app, which kind of distributes points a little bit differently than, say, ESPN. It doesn't give full points for 25 passing yards. So um, he also chipped in 35 yards on the ground on seven carries. Um, Personally, my take on Tua is I'm not really ready to throw him into my starting lineup yet. I think that he should absolutely be snagged in pretty much any league because the upside there could be uh, tremendous, considering especially how well this Miami Dolphins offense has run pretty much all year and the receiving talent they have there. Think about Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, um, no longer can say Isaiah Ford since he was traded to the Patriots. <laughs> but uh, there are receiving options there and talented ones at that. So Tua Tagovailoa could be a guy who potentially is like a borderline quarterback one in 10-team leagues. Um, And I think that you probably should roster him just to make sure you don't miss miss out on that upside. Yeah, I agree. Uh, It's... It's one of those things where, you know, obviously the first game we saw Tua against the Rams, you know, he didn't do that well. But I think that was just because the Dolphins defense was on such a hot streak that it didn't matter. But, yeah. And I mean, Tua only threw the ball 29 times. and was pretty efficient and had two touchdowns. So when you think of it, I think if you're in a one QB league, Tua isn't a QB one yet, um, but he definitely qualifies as a streamer and if you're in a two QB league or a super flex league if Tua is on your waiver wire which I doubt um if he is definitely grab him and play him because he's definitely worth the addition on the other side uh, for the Cardinals wanted to discuss a little Christian Kirk he received eight targets caught five of them for 123 yards and one TD um now, the reason I want to talk about Christian Kirk is just because I don't know what to think of this guy because I feel like we've been down this road, especially last season with him. And it just seems like if he's not catching a bomb, you know, a deep bomb or not a touchdown, he's not really putting up that many yard, that much yards. Um, and you consider he's only had eight targets or the highest amount of targets you had in the game is eight. Now, granted, you expect that if you're playing with again, you know, with um, DeAndre Hopkins and what's left of Larry Fitzgerald. But I guess my question is, with three consecutive games of at least eighteen point two half PPR points, Nick, where do you have Christian Kirk as far as rest of the season? Is he like a wide receiver three, or maybe a little higher? Yeah, I think of him as kind of like a, a high-end wide receiver three. And part of that is really just because of how deep I'll say. Like, we talk about the scarcity of running backs and tight ends. But we've kind of joked on here before. Like, there are like 15 guys who you could say are top 10 wide receivers. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And, you know, that kind of that kind of thought process trickles down the whole wide receiver list. Like... Christian Kirk is a good player, um, but like I can't rank him super high 
because there's so many guys that are really good ahead of him. Um, so because of his volatility, um, we know that he obviously has a really, really, really high ceiling. We saw it, I think, at the end of last year where he like totally erupted for like three touchdowns and almost 200 yards or something like that. Um, I would not want to miss out on his boom, but you have to accept the, the possibility that his floor is considerably lower than other guys in his range. Agreed. And I think that's the only thing with Christian Kirk is, like I said, I, you it's it's not in comparison of the talent of the players, more or less their play style. It's like dealing with guys like Tyler Lockett, Tyree Kill. You know, their upside is so great because of their propensity for catching the deep ball that you kind of have to live with the ups and downs, Will Fuller. But because when they catch that one pass for 60 yards, it might win you your week. Um, the second to last game, this was Sunday night football. Obviously this was a game I really could not pull much from. Um, but just to have something to talk about on the Saints side, Drew Brees completed 26 of 32 passes for 222 yards and four TDs good for 22.68 fantasy points, which makes him QB 11 for the week. Um, so when it comes to Drew Brees, does this performance change his standing in your mind? Like, is he now a QB one? Can you start him for the rest of the year? Or is he still that borderline QB two? Yeah, I still see him mostly on the borderline because of how good quarterbacks are these days. But I feel better about Drew Brees. Like, it, it definitely did change my perspective. And I think that you can attribute a lot of that to obviously having a guy like Michael Thomas back. And it seemed like they were able to. Now, I am going to put a caveat on this. Uh, You saw a little bit more Adam Troutman last night, which was good. I mean, his big catch, other than the touchdown, came on a pass from Taysom Hill. So I can't attribute uh, a lot of Drew Brees' success to Adam Troutman. But I think that as they get Michael Thomas into the game more, Adam Troutman more acclimated in the offense because I think that Adam Troutman is going to be a very good player. I think that you're going to see a little bit more of Drew Brees bordering that quarterback one, um, probably a low end quarterback one, but he'll be sort of on that borderline between quarterback one and quarterback two. Yeah. Um, it, like I said, and they destroyed the saints destroyed the bucks 38 to three. So there really wasn't much to pull away from this. So, yeah, Drew Brees is probably more or less a, Q- a QB2, and I guess given the right matchup, could have the upside of a QB1. On the other side, uh, Antonio Brown. Um, this is not necessarily a topic because of how he played, per se, but just more or less it was his first game with the Bucks, And wasn't a fairly terrible outing. Saw five targets, caught three of them for 31 yards. Obviously, this game was basically over before it began, so that was unfortunate. But uh, we had this conversation just directly between me and you about Antonio Brown's value because it's, it's all over the place depending on who you ask. So let me ask you, Nick, where do you, what do you value Antonio Brown as for the rest of the season as far as wide receiver ranking? Personally, I see him as a wide receiver three, which I think uh, 
is probably lower than where most people would have him. Um, you know, people are thinking about the name value and Antonio Brown playing with the GOAT, Tom Brady. And that's all fair and everything. And not to knock Antonio Brown, but I feel pretty comfortable saying that, especially for fantasy purposes, at this point in their careers, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are just better players. Like, they are younger. They know the system. You know what I mean? They know what Bruce Arians wants to do. They know it better than Tom Brady does. So, um, I would say, especially a guy like Chris Godwin, still has to take precedence in the offense. I think Mike Evans should. But, I mean, you have to admit that given how the season's gone for Mike Evans, um, it's almost like he's a forgotten man of sorts. There's there's a lot of research as to why Mike Evans has faded out of the offense, and basically what it comes down to is you think about how Mike Evans played with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston had no conscience about throwing the deep ball, throwing one up for grabs, throwing a 50-50 ball to Mike Evans. Tom Brady just doesn't do it, especially uh, in the twilight of his career. So I only bring up Mike Evans because I say that Antonio Brown could end up having a more fantasy-relevant role than Evans, but he shouldn't. He should not. Mike Evans is a better player at this point. But yeah, give me wide receiver three, somewhere mid-tier-ish, mid-tier wide receiver three. Yeah, I I think it's around there for me too. Um, I mean, you can't... I guess people are looking at the upside, and obviously, like like, I don't think he'll ever... He won't be a wide receiver one the rest of the way. I'm not even sure he'll be a wide receiver too, but at least he has the upside to do that. Because at the end of the day, you still have to consider he has to share the ball with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette is a highly targeted player in his offense and still has Gronk. So I don't think Antonio Brown will get enough targets to get that wide receiver one ceiling. He possibly could get that wide receiver two ceiling, but I think that would have to come if like Chris Godwin misses more games for various ailments. That's the only way I see it. So I think, Right now, Antonio Brown's wide receiver three. I could say he'll probably be like a wide receiver four um, just because if Chris Godwin is healthy and no one else really gets hurt, I just don't see Antonio Brown getting the target share that he would need to be a wide receiver two. Um, Nick, why don't you uh, cap us off with the Monday night football game we all love to see? <laughs> we all love to see? Well, well, we'll talk about it. All right. So... It was a divisional game, uh, Patriots and Jets. I got to say, uh, the Patriots eked this one out 30-27. to 27. It was probably the ugliest, ugliest Patriots win I've ever seen. One of the ugliest games I've ever seen. It really, it was a total snooze fest. It was, it was a good game competitively, but it was like both of these teams were taking sucker punches at trying to lose. Like, it was just a terrible, terrible game. But the bright spots in it were a couple of receivers. Jacoby Myers, he basically played out of his mind yesterday. Um, He was Cam Newton's favorite target. And to get his complete stats, all right, he had 12 catches for 169 yards. I'm 
I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of dumbstruck. Like, I don't know exactly what to make of Jacoby Myers. It seems like he has some rapport with Cam Newton. So that's good. But I just can't see this ever happening again for him. And maybe I'm wrong. Are you a little bit more um, forgiving, I'll say, of Jacoby Myers? Do you think that this could be more legit than not? Um, It's possible. I'm not willing to bet money on it to show how serious I am. But he did look impressive out there. I mean, you have to consider he is playing against the Jets. Obviously, all of the receivers that have gone against the Jets have looked good. Um, But, I mean, you know, he's obviously getting the target share because I think the next highest targeted person was Demir Bird with nine targets. And Myers saw 14. So I think it's there, especially um, if he's going to be the uh, number one receiver. I think I don't think he'll put up a wide receiver. I think this put him at wide receiver six with 22.9 half PPR points. I don't think you can expect that. He seems more like a wide receiver three, but he has that wide receiver two upside because if he becomes Cam's favorite target, um, I don't see the Patriots really getting out to many positive game scripts as far as running the ball. So, I mean, Jacoby Myers, I think you can start him, but definitely temper expectations. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I think that I'm gonna err on the side of caution a little bit more on this one. I I just can't see him doing this again, or really anything close to it. Um, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, if you will. <laughs> I just don't think Jacoby Myers is that good. Like he had a great game. I'm not gonna take that away from him. I just don't think he is a incredibly talented player. So I am just kind of, I'm going to let Jacoby Myers do his thing and I'm not going to touch him personally. Um, I understand the allure. Like I understand why people would want to take that chance on him. And if you have the roster spot, it makes a ton of sense. I'm just not, I'm not ready to do so myself. Um, but we had another player, um, former, t- former Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver, and now Jets wide receiver Brashad Perryman, he kind of went off himself yesterday. Um, it seems like Brashad Perryman goes off late in the season. Like he did it last year when Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were hurt for Tampa Bay. Now he does it again on th- on Monday Night Football uh, with the Jets, which good for them. They need something to be excited about. Um, but what are your thoughts of Rashad Perriman? Um, sort of like what you said, he just has a knack. And obviously, the first half of the season, he had trouble staying healthy. I think he had a number of ankle injuries. So it was just, it's good to see that he's healthy. And obviously, Joe Flacco, and this is obviously not going to be part of our analysis, but Joe Flacco looks like the better quarterback right now. I mean, Sam Darnold, I, I can't even remember him taking a shot deep. And Joe Flacco will air that ball out, and that obviously helps someone like Rashad Perryman. Um, I I don't want to read too much into it. I think at best he's a wide receiver three, just because it is still the Jets, and they just struggle moving the ball. But he could have games like this, um, especially if he can catch a deep one. So I would say 
he you can start him as a flex play if you're desperate. Um, and it's possible he could reach that wide receiver two ceiling. Yeah, you know, I you know what I think of Brashad Perriman. I think that if you're looking at your matchup and you are projected to lose by like 15 or 20, Brashad Perriman is the kind of guy who you can throw into your lineup. And I mean, obviously the the floor is pretty low, but the ceiling is high on a guy like Brashad Perriman. We've seen it. We've seen him explode before. And if everything goes right for Brashad Perriman, he can carry you to victory. I mean, it's not a sure thing, but I think that if you're looking at your projections and, you know, one, you believe in your projections, if you're expected to lose by a significant margin, he makes sense as a flex play with very high upside. Agreed. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I think it's just he's one of those high upside guys, but his floor, his floor, just because of his style of play and also his team is pretty low. So just be prepared for the wild variation. And that is week nine. Uh, Nick, any last thoughts before we go? Um, none really. Uh, it was a pretty quiet week across football. Well, I'll, I'll say across sports in general. Um, but we're going to be having our main show on Thursday. So look out for that as well as this one. We hope that this show, you know, gave you all of the fantasy news and updates that you needed. Uh, so as always, give us a follow, send us whatever you want us to cover. Uh, if there's any particular guys that you would like for us to look at, um, in depth or anything like that, talk about, we'd be glad to do it. So, yeah, follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, at FullContactPod, all that good stuff. Hope that you guys won your week nines. And, you know, we are approaching the playoffs. So, uh, hope that you guys are on track to win uh, and make the playoffs in all of your leagues. Sharif, how about yourself? Um, Just... As we continue to stress, I know with these recap shows, we mostly touch on what happened and if there's any people worthwhile getting off the waiver wire based off the game, you know, we point that out. But this is just a reminder, just for someone like myself, um, just because it, it happens whenever you don't realize it, just make sure to keep scouring your waiver wire. Um, we use uh, this app called uh, Sleeper which it lets us know when anyone has been dropped. And normally with leagues like ESPN, you have to have them on your watch list. Um, but with something like Sleeper, you don't really have to. So if you're not playing on Sleeper, you're playing on traditional sites like ESPN and Yahoo, just please make sure to keep scouring your waiver wire because you never know who's been dropped. 100%. Um, some guys have shorter leashes for their players. So you can find a, a, a league winner on your waiver wire tomorrow, uh, assuming that's when your waivers go through. So uh, without any further ado, thank you all for listening. We very much appreciate it. If you feel so inclined, we would love if you left us a review or something like that. So uh, yeah, thank you all very much. Uh, hope you have a good week 10 and uh, hope that you're all well in your personal lives. So thank you all and we'll see you on Thursday.